0: Yeah, uh, and this is pretty loose, so, you know, because I can edit out everything, so uh, feel free to talk out of context.
1: Sean for president. Oh, I lost you guys, (laughs) but Okay,
0: well, welcome everyone to episode 15? 15. Episode 15 of Pem Pem Pals Podcast. We are 11, well, I guess including this one, 12 episodes away from the end of
2: Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's a long show.
1: It's like a marathon where you feel better after each mile. <laughs> Very cool.
0: How, oh, well, let me introduce uh, our guest for the week who is a consummate professional and uh, a longtime friend and a connoisseur of all 90s entertainment. Back
1: in the 90s. Mr. Andre
0: Robinson.
1: Hello, thank you for having me gentlemen. I'm looking forward to this. This should be a lot of fun. Yeah, nice to, nice to talk to you, man. Yeah, it's been, yeah, a, it's been while. a while, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be uh, interesting. I was sitting there, uh, this reminded me to go back and kind of revisit my younger self. Uh, I graduated from high school in 1990, um, so I kind of based everything on, was I in school when I remember this? <laughs> or was I living, at, like, living away from home yeah. when, when I remember this? Because I was like, so there's concerts I went to and things that I did, and I was like, when I finished doing that, did I go to my mom's house or my house? And that's kind of how I arranged everything mentally. Because <laughs> uh, you guys weren't even born then. But for me, it's like going back, I have to remember the eighties, the late seventies. So sort everything of gets all jumbled up and I'm like, let me see. Uh, Nirvana, that's a good uh, <laughs> yeah. So I just I, I categorized everything kind of like that, yeah.
2: So so had you watched this uh, like back in the nineties, or you are just trying to like think about it in the context of other stuff?
1: I didn't watch this, I wasn't really into uh, anime and manga uh, back then, the 90s, I was more into mm-hmm. comic books. You know, there were, there were things like Akira, you know, the, the standards, kind of like saying that you listen to Michael Jackson songs. It's kind of like everybody did, but were you into Michael Jackson or did you just hear it on the radio? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, I may have even seen a couple of episodes of this uh, back when it was originally airing, but yeah. you know, I don't remember them. Wasn't really into watching a lot of stuff on TV besides like the the stuff that you're programmed to watch, like network TV and things like that back then. And then I had a uh, <clears throat> illegal uh, cable box. <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Well, it wasn't, we were paying for cable. <laughs> so technically we were just paying for basic cable. They were mostly looking for people that, because you could just hook this box up and just get Every ch- it was like if you could get like uh, HBO Max and Netflix and all these paid subscriptions for free by hooking a box up to your TV. Mm-hmm. That was basically what it was. Yeah. So every pay-per-view, everything that came in on a cable line, we could get for free. Wow. So most of the time I was watching like HBO or pay-per-views or things like that. Um, and there weren't any anime channels back then. There was some I might have gotten into. But. But, but so you're yeah.
2: saying like back then Akira was kind of like one of the... Is one of the crossovers where even if you're not into that genre it was like kind of a big enough deal that people heard about it
1: yeah and and it was really cool i don't remember ex- the day that i saw it the first time but i remember telling everybody how amazing it was and uh then immediately finding out that that wasn't the only one <laughs> 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 you know someone pats you on the head and goes oh young one." Oh, although hira <laughs> yeah, is kind was, of singular a-
0: in at least it's animation style it was, I guess for a time, I think it was a cut above other things or other, uh, uh, I don't know, works that in the subject matter it was taking on. Like it was, you know, it was yeah. sci-fi and stuff, but it was talking about uh, uh, social unrest and it was talking about government oversight and things like that. Uh, and the, the, the yeah. faces were drawn in the, a not typical Uh, anime style like the faces are much more regular looking human looking as opposed to anime faces they accentuate the eyes they make the mouth smaller when it's not moving
1: and then grossly too big when they're show surprise and you know things like that it's like oh my gosh there's a car in there (laughs) but yeah it was uh let me see the first real non because i'm i grew up in the age of like the you know transformers Mm. thundercats um, things like that that weren't really anime, but uh, were American cartoons. And that was more where I got the animated, uh, my animated fix from, more than imported from Japan true mm-hmm. anime. Even my, my favorite quote-unquote anime would be like Avatar, The Last Airbender.
2: Everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked.
1: Which isn't really anime uh, for you <laughs> purists, but for me, that's, that's where I would get that kind of fix from. Um, so I've dabbled in, uh, let's see, uh, Tokyo Ghoul, Attack on Titan, things like that. I watched like uh, Dragon Ball Z all the way through once. And that was kind of an interesting story where it was like my roommate mm. had box set, <laughs> So, so I, I would get home from work and I would throw in the next DVD. So like Dragon Ball Z, I, I watched it uh, from cover to cover on DVD. Not a lot of watching from beginning to end for any anime.
2: So, so what about uh, this show? Have you been kind of watching up until this point? Yes. Are you going into this one, cold? Okay.
1: Yeah, I haven't um, watched this episode.
2: And, and is this your first time around for the series? Yes. What are your thoughts so far?
1: Uh, it is uh, interesting at this point in my life, uh, getting back into anime. i had forgotten uh, the allure of this type of show. I like writing where you can dive as deep as you want. Um, it is a beautiful looking show, so you can just watch it and enjoy it. But then when you start peeling the onion, you start seeing like almost the hopelessness of some of the characters, the deep depression of some of the characters, the family interactions. So, you, you know, on, diff- on a bunch of different levels, you can enjoy this uh, depending on where you're at in your own life, um, things that you want to evaluate in yourself and people around you. Um, so in that, I'm thoroughly enjoying this uh, this series so far. Oh, awesome!
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Like, I feel like you could just have it wash over you. Like, you could just watch it in Japanese or something, mm-hmm. and kind of look at the animation and hear the music. And, you know, just on that level, it'd still probably be yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah, the uh, religious aspects of it were very surprising to me because I it didn't I didn't immediately. Uh, the names of certain things. And it, I didn't actually catch on to it until, you know, like episodes five or six. So I go back and I'm like, wait a minute. I've heard of mm. some of these things before. And I go back and I'm like, wow, there's a bunch of like really, like deeply religious undertones in this show that I just missed because I was thinking at first, I was like, oh, I'm watching a cartoon. It won't be too deep. And then I went back and watched it on a whole nother level. I'm like, wow, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here.
2: And I guess we're right at the point, you know, I don't remember the rest of the season, but it seems like this episode that, that we're talking about today, a lot of that religious stuff is going to come front and center and kind of will become part of the plot.
0: Right. And man, you, uh, Dre, thanks for bringing up, you uh, mentioned the lore, the the ability to really d- dive deeply into it, if you wanted. And I hadn't thought about that. Like, yep. anime has been doing that for I think longer than it's been, not ubiquitous, but common in, uh, I guess you could say, Western. Really, I just mean American uh, culture, American media. I
2: feel like you're Alex. You're really someone I've known who's like kind of always like dived into the lore of stuff, right? And, and you know, part of it is just your memory. I think you like um, hold on to a lot of that stuff, at least a lot better than I do. Both of us. <laughs> Like, for you, I guess for me, I'm like, oh, this shows that they put attention to detail into all this stuff, that they've, like, thought about this whole thing and tried to build this whole world, and I kind of, like, enjoy that they're, like, taking it seriously and, like, thinking things through, but I almost feel like maybe for some people, it's kind of like a whole added aspect of it, that they, like, want there to be this kind of thing that they can get into and look stuff up online and more fully explore the world. Like it's almost like a extra appendage
0: to a show or something like that. Absolutely. Part of it is I think a sense of community of having other people who are looking into the same thing so you can discuss it and uh, have common points of reference. Cause that's a drive for, you know, all humans to have some sort of common language, some sort of common symbolism so that we can communicate. That's probably the, I don't know, most nurturing aspect of it and then the kind of sinister aspect is what you described like they uh, if a work makes you feel like they're taking it seriously you're more likely to incorporate it into your lexicon and maybe that's just maybe that's not sinister maybe that's just good showmanship it's good uh, marketing but I don't know marketing's kind of uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway <laughs> there's a lot of a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And uh, that hits home, uh, I think, back to, again, like the uh, early mid-90s. Growing up, I had two older brothers and they collected comic books. So by virtue of that, I kind of collected comic books. Uh, as they grew out of it, I inherited their collections. And finding uh, new comics and finding out that it's not just a, a two-horse race with Marvel and DC going into uh, the independent comic books, and then finding someone else out there that read the same comic book that you read, you know, and like you are saying, it's like having that common interest actually going to comic book conventions for comic books, you know, things like that, that uh, now people go kind of for the spectacle. Uh, the cosplay is really big now um, all different kinds of games, but back then there were just rows and rows and rows of comic books and you would treasure hunt. You know, I, I'm really into this title, but, my local comic book shop only goes back to to, uh, issue 32. Mm -hmm. So you have like a a Comic-Con in DC or Baltimore somewhere locally for us. And you would drive like, you know, 30, 50, 60 miles to this comic book convention to find the first 31 issues of this comic book. And then finding that guy whose life revolves around that title that you're looking for that you just got into and sitting there for an hour talking to this vendor and he's explaining to you the, the history of this comic and things like that. Just uh, probably yeah. one of the better times of my life just finding like-minded mm. people, <laughs> you know. I grew up playing yeah. like uh, d d when I was really young. Hey, look! Uh,
0: adventures
1: and Dragon's Ride! Comics really, for me, brought me into the whole new world of what I call geekdom, <laughs> which I say with pride. Uh, nerddom, however you want to, uh, to say it, I, I, I really, wear that on my lapel and things like this podcast uh, for somebody sitting in the Midwest or wherever that doesn't have the uh, access to, to physically be in a room with someone to discuss these things. This is the the next best option. And it didn't exist when I was, uh, you know, in my even late twenties, early thirties, and now it's exploded. I'm just tickled that you guys are doing this. Hey, great point.
0: Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. That, and that's a good, uh, not necessarily a segue, but anyways, this is a good transition because one of the major themes of this episode and the series as a whole is connection, is how alone we are and the general ways in which we find connection, like overall structures, like nerve is a way that these pilots know each other in a way that they wouldn't otherwise, but also this the very specific aspects or the specific instances of connection, which we're going to see some cool examples of in this episode. Oh no, I didn't write a last time on? Uh Uh-oh, that's okay. I will write one and then I guess record it and insert it in.
2: (laughs) Time travel. (laughs) Oh, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: How are things going on the PP Pal's other podcasts uh, front? Ben?
2: Shoot, I thought you were going to go first with the PEP Pals Peapod update. I did uh, start listening to the other Latif, which is this guy. He's, he was a Radio Lab producer for a long time, Latif Nasser, I think. Mm-hmm. And he has a Netflix show now, like a Netflix science show. So he's blowing up. But I think the probably the way he got that show is based on this podcast that they maybe put out last year. The premise is he has a very unique name. He thought he was the only person in the world um, who had this name, and I think he had kind of like a Google Alert set up so he could see if someone wrote about one of his stories or something like that. And then one day it pops up with this alert about someone else who's actually being held in Guantanamo Bay. And um, he kind of like digs into the story and tries to figure out who this guy is and through this like bureaucratic snafu Um, at the end of the Obama administration. They said that they were going to release this guy and then it like never happened. And with the new administration, he was just like sitting there. So I'm, I'm not all the way through it. I don't know where it goes, but uh, it's a uh, kind of like interesting exploration. and Very interesting.
0: Kind of tragic. Uh, oh, yeah. Maybe we'll have a conclusion for that next week. Maybe that's a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh,
2: so what's the, the PP Pals Peapod garden update?
0: The PP Pals garden update is that something tromped through my garden. Some of the marigolds are down, and so I don't think it was a deer because I feel like they would've knocked over the, or the, the framework that we had for the peas. But something was through the garden. I don't know if it ate a bunch of stuff, but uh, it was exciting to find that.
1: Do you have a, uh, a camera back there? I do not. That would be neat, and you can actually um, later on if it's stationary you could like do that thing where you speed it up uh, and watch yeah. the garden grow
0: oh yeah time-lapse photography that's
1: cool yeah yeah, yeah there you go and you can yeah. see me i'm actually practicing my river dancing there so <laughs> that might have been what uh, I, there you go yeah. see if you had just asked there's there's no mystery <laughs> it was straight all along mystery almost, yeah <laughs> yeah
2: but he blessed the ground so the next uh, the next crops you grow there.
1: There you go, that was my intention.
2: If if people actually listen to this show, that would be pretty sweet. And then we can be like, Oh, go to our Twitter and you can see like the time lapse That would like, be
0: pretty
1: sweet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> really, really enhance the visual aspect of our podcast, which we've been trying to do ever since Donnie's was on. Oh no. This is a note for future Alex. you dummy. You need to write a last time on and then record it and put it in. Last time on Law and Ava. In the angel elimination system, the people of Japan are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The men, women, and non-binaries of NERV who construct and service the Avas and the child soldiers who pilot these monsters so that humanity may live another day. These are their stories. The pilots also played musical Evas, causing a vision in Rey and another chance to go berserk for Unit Zero Zero. Will Misato and Kaji deepen their bonds? Let's find out.
2: So episode 15, Lies in Silence, aka Those Women Longed for the Touch of Other Lips and Thus Invited Their Kisses. Oh, so, for the first time in years, Shinji meets his father at his mother's grave. Risko, Misato, and Ryoji attend a wedding, and Asuka goes on a date. There's a lot going on this episode. Yeah. Three different plots. Could be
0: more. Who knows? Three, two, one. <laughs>
2: At the end of this, we're gonna mash up all of Alex's different song renditions, and it'll be like this beautiful chorus.
0: Oh. <laughs> I like how optimistic you are about this <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was a, it was definitely worth the wait. Um, So before, before we dive too deep here, I have to ask about the bird because I, I, is that, is that just the beginning and end of it? It's just a bird that lives like a roommate bird because it's, no, it's just, it's hilarious. He just looks deadpan at the camera and I start laughing and uh, I don't know, (laughs) like, What's the story? Do we know the story behind the bird or there's nothing to read into it? It's just a pet?
0: We don't yet. I think we will get an explanation before the series is out. Uh Um, I don't know that it's going to be like a crazy explanation. It's not like Pen Pen is the origin of all life or anything. Uh But uh, Pen Pen is some some sort of new breed of penguin. Uh And based on the backpack and the cognitive abilities, I would... Assume that Pen Pen is not like a new species of penguin that developed in the wild. That like Pen Pen is some sort of experiment to enhance the cognitive capabilities of non-human animals, and he's like a successful uh, round of that experiment. Okay. Um, yeah, because he, you know, like you saw uh, or like you said, he he's kind of a pet, but he acts more like a like room. a
1: roommate. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like he has his own space. We got to see inside of his uh, uh, little fridge, he has a TV and a lamp, yeah. which is just
1: awesome. Yeah. This is just like, oh, they're kissing. I'm going to go to bed. Good night, guys. This <laughs> is funny.
0: I don't know. Uh, he is, uh man's my favorite. Uh, okay. So, we start off this episode with Gendo and Tarkin, or Kozo, right, flying in a helicopter, and they're observing the, I didn't get the name of it, but the, the these new lakes, they call them Lake 1, Lake 2, yeah. and they're all from the explosions of angels. When an angel dies, it creates a big crater, and they're like, oh, well, this is, this is just a new lake. <laughs> That's what we're calling this. <laughs>
2: Um, and, and they talk about how Seal is mad, with them, mad at them um, for delays in the human instrumentality project. And they mention a bunch of stuff that we learn about at the end of the episode. But they talk about Adam and Ray and how all of these different plans are connected to one another.
0: Yeah, Gendo says that every project is interlinked. Right Which Kozo would seem to know, but then Kozo says something about Ray, and Gendo doesn't answer. He's still keeping that project or that part of his life uh, separate from Kozo does not let Kozo know what exactly is going on with Ray. and as we see like with imagery later in the episode, obviously Ray is an integral part of whatever Gendo is planning, both emotionally, he has an attachment, but she is the pilot that Gendo goes to when he cannot trust the other pilots, as we saw at the end of the last episode uh, with her retrieving this spear or whatever it was that she was carrying and just a whole lot of mystery left with Ray.
1: Well, the the mystery with Shinji's mom, like the, this, hmm. that because I haven't seen this episode before. So it's just a grave marker and his dad didn't even put her body there. Like what is that? He's like, Oh yeah, she's not here and he's just finding out now. That seems pretty uh pretty effed up.
0: <laughs> it's very strange. Uh and Gendo is uh like obviously Gendo knows uh, if not if not where the body is. Gendo knows what happened to the body, but he does not choose to share that information with Shinji, yeah. just that she's not really it there. almost
1: seemed like he purposefully, like he had the option to bury her there and he chose not to
0: Mm.
1: you know it doesn't doesn't matter what her body is it's the memory that the marker elicits is more important almost i felt bad for shinji (laughs) oh definitely
0: kind of a i mean a, a meta statement on you know her body isn't there but that's like saying she's not there right which which is at least i believe kind of a truth about death and and funerals you know like When your loved one dies or when a human dies, when that light fades from their eyes and that they're no longer conscious, right? The brain isn't working. They're not there anymore. There's a body just like there's a marker. There's a headstone. But whoever you loved is not there anymore. The headstone is not for them. It's for you.
1: And I agree 100%. That's how I feel also. So maybe that's him teaching his son that. Mm. That's the only, because usually, you know, (laughs) If I go to visit a grave, it's like, oh, there's no body in there. And that's the first time you're hearing about it. It's kind of weird, but yeah. tough love. <laughs> Seems to be the nature of their relationship. <laughs> so after
2: Gendo and Kozo had that conversation, then we jumped to Kyoto and we see Kaji there in this, this warehouse kind of snooping around. A door kind of opens and, and he reaches to grab for a gun, you know, but then... It's actually this woman sitting outside.
0: So he reaches for his gun and a, a voice says, it's me. It's some clandestine woman. She's very plain clothes and she's sitting with three cats. And I was wondering, is this the woman from the tram Yeah, that Kaji met with before? But I think it's supposed to be a different person.
2: The hair looks a little different. I Googled that. I was trying to figure that out. On the Evangelion fandom, it says a couple of things. So the 108 companies, evidently there are 108 sins in Tibetan Buddhism and 108 deeds mm. on Hindu and Buddhist rosaries. They say that in Buddhism, 108 is also the number of steps or earthly temptations that a man must overcome to obtain nirvana and that several powerful gods and goddesses have 108 names. So the 108 names of um, the Marduk Institute could be kind of references to those, or or at least maybe Mm. uh, there's kind of these numerological significance to 108.
0: Wow. Yeah, and Kaji isn't exactly reaching Nirvana, but he is towards the tail end of this journey of seeking and searching. And at the end of the episode, like it comes to fruition. He, he sees with his own two eyes a big secret. Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, so moving right along, we get to Asuka uh, outside of the classroom in school, and she's on a cell phone calling uh, Kaji, who does not pick up, and she, it's really fucked up. Uh, she fakes an assault, right, <laughs> on his voicemail. Yeah. She's like, oh no, you pervert! And I understand she's a young person, but that's not an okay thing to do, right? It does showcase, um, you know, a couple months ago, we had an incident like that. We had a videotape of a a white woman calling the cops on a black man and simulating an assault over the phone to get them to come and be ready for violence, presumably to kill this guy. But... It also is showing this, I think it's showing this uh, parallel between Asuka and uh, Kaji, that they continually do these performative and uh, incendiary things, like the way that Kaji is flirting with Ritsuko and Misato in almost trying to pit them against each other, which is not really happening, but you can see that Asuka and Kaji have these similar views of how the world works. Uh, maybe that you're kind of on your own and everyone else is either to be manipulated or to be cast aside. Um, And I guess as the students are all
2: cleaning the classroom, a la, I guess, Japanese tradition to not have uh, janitors, but to have people clean up after themselves. Great tradition. Shinji is staring at Rei. And then a little later in the episode, you know, they have a conversation about it. Shinji you know, ask Ray about Gendo. Ray says that she noticed him staring and Shinji makes these kind of awkward comments on her, like, domesticity, saying that she looked like a mother and would make a good wife to
0: someone someday. Yeah, we get, I think, four scenes of Shinji staring at Ray, which yeah. is a little overkill, but, I mean, it hammers the point home, right? Like, he, in some way, he's infatuated. He cannot keep his eyes off of her. Because it's in the classroom, and then in an, in the Ava on the view screen, he's staring at her, and then in the ba- on the back of her head, in the, I mean, they're in the elevator together, but like she's looking away and he's continually staring at her. I think there is one more. I, I have like
2: a shameful memory of you know my first crush and staring at her, and then like mm. someone in my elementary school class like calling me out
1: for <laughs> staring. <at her. laughs> mm.
2: Like, I remember that shit. Yeah, I guess it's still they're they're keeping it ambiguous though. You know, Ray even mentions, "Is that why you were staring at me? Because you wanted to ask about Gendo?" Um, it's kind of so it's still kind of unclear. You know, was he hesitating because he's so nervous about meeting his dad, and and he's just been meaning to ask her about this all day, and doesn't work up the courage until they're in the elevator? Is there a crush? Him saying she'd make a good wife, is that him like trying to flirt with her
0: or is that just him trying to be nice and make small talk? I don't think you ever say to someone, you'd make a good housewife. That's not a compliment in this day and age, right? Not even in 1995. I don't think. Maybe in Japan. But.
2: Yeah, I mean, I interpreted Guilty it compliment. more as like, uh, like, like. But he says that as a joke, you know. I don't know. I see, Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think sh- he's expecting her to like smile and be like, ha ha ha, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, I think it's just kind of like, oh, like you like you'll make some dude really happy someday. You're good at that shit. How
1: hey, you wring that that rag out? The strong mom hands. <laughs>
0: Yeah, mom.
1: (laughs) I I had interpreted that uh, he was crushing on her. You know, I don't pretend to know as much as the two of you, but that was my initial reaction, just having seen it the first time. And then they kept going back to him specifically, and they changed the color of the background when she's wringing out the water out of the rag. And it was like he was fixating on her hands, kind of wringing that cylindrical rag out. And that was the impression that I got.
2: Yeah, I see you noticed that it was cylindrical. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, with the, with
1: the moisture coming out of it and dripping out into the bucket. I was like, wow, that's, that's the most simple. Yeah, I
0: hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it is kind of phallic. But I am a pervert. <laughs> no, that's great. I hadn't thought about that either. And there's also color symmetry. It, it, when he thinks back, it's red, right? And then later in the episode, uh, uh, during the kiss, uh, he slowly turns red, which I, mm. you know, we, we can assume that, oh, he's holding his breath, but then wouldn't they animate him turning more blue? He did turn blue. I think they did do that.
1: Yeah, he turned yeah. two different colors.
0: <laughs> oh, he turns blue at the end? Okay.
1: When, uh, I guess his pen pen was staring at him, <laughs> he had turned like a purple and he's like, well, I'm going to go to bed now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So so at the same time that's going on, Misato is talking about, you know, needing a dress for this wedding. She can't fit into her orange dress anymore. She's going to have to buy a new one. Money problems as usual.
0: Which I think an awesome ongoing commentary on the the financial or the monetary costs that are imposed on women in society that are not uh, imposed on men in society and that are kind of expected. Yeah, like she's saying, it's not that she's not good with her money, it's that she has to spend it on all of the stuff. And that's statistically accurate, you know? Women uh, tend to have to spend more on hair makeup, clothing. And that puts them at uh, a monetary disadvantage to their male coworkers and their male comrades. Yeah, they're
1: expected to. Well, I was just curious, uh, do you think that that's exacerbated by the uh, women empowering themselves to like pay for their own meals? Like when when I was younger, it was chivalrous for the man to pay for the dinner and things like that. But on top of all these other accrued financial responsibilities, is it even exacerbated by them also paying for their own meals? You know, traditionally for the old people, mm-hmm. everything that costs something on a date, the man was expected to pay for. Um, now, this probably goes back to when there weren't a lot of women working. Mm-hmm. So they just didn't have a lot of money for these things. But even now, women are earning less than men still. hmm and they're not expecting men to pay for them and pay for their meal and pay for the night out and things like that. But it puts an unfair burden on them, I think. And again, this is like the, the old guy way of looking at it, I guess, but, um, it just seems like it's like a doubly financially crippling, you know, to, to expect that.
2: So kind of like mm-hmm. things weren't even before but they were sort of fair or something like that. Like they were unequal, but it's somehow balanced out because men were expected to pay for more stuff. But now it's like women earn less and they have to pay more for things. Right. And men aren't even being chivalrous anymore.
1: Yeah. It's like, we're not allowing you to earn a living. So we'll go ahead and treat you to this. You know, and it's like, why well, much rather just earn what you earn? I'll pay for my own dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> And then also on that, in that same uh, vein there, uh, where they were making it known that their friends were getting married because they were getting to be 30 years old. And I remember thinking about that because hopefully um, you young guys don't still feel that way. But that was like a, a milestone. It's like, oh, you're mm-hmm. turning 30 soon. You're turning 30 soon. It's like, yeah. And then 10 years from now, I'll be turning 40. You know, I mean, it's like, what's your point? Should I have found my my mate by this time? Like maybe my mate, is in Japan or <laughs> in California. You know what I mean? It's not a, a time clock, but all of their friends were turning 30, so she's spending all this money because there's all these weddings, everybody's pushing through this cycle of getting married because they're turning 30, and not necessarily because they found their their maid. Um, and that was pretty funny. She's like, oh, it's, I just wore this to this wedding and this to this wedding. So many people turning 30. And I'm like, really?
2: Meanwhile, Taji can't even be bothered to shave
0: for the wedding. Right, exactly. Like, look, uh, no wonder he has the time to be a triple agent and look into all of these things. Like, he doesn't have to go buy a new dress. Yeah, I I thought the, uh, the wedding scene was really cool, like, the way it was
2: edited. So, you know, like, we hear that kind of traditional wedding music, and then there's, like, a hard cut, And the music stops and we see someone giving a little snippet of a speech and then there's another hard cut and there's some women kind of singing in this performance. When they do those cuts, like the wedding music doesn't play over it. It stops right at the cut. So it's almost like diegetic sound. Like it's almost like a documentary where like, you know, they were in this space and they recorded the thing sound and all and kind of have these hard cuts and different scenes, and that's just something. I don't know if I've ever really seen that in in animation before.
1: Definitely jarring, draws your attention.
2: Yeah, 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 and and makes something that yeah maybe like otherwise is kind of you know not super exciting compared to giant robots fighting in some ways, right? It's just like a way to to spice
0: up the scene. Right, and yet, oh my gosh, when we, well, we'll get to it. Anyways, uh, so this, so the wedding goes off kind of without a hitch, but they end up drinking and then they end up hanging out at an after party, right? This very neon bar and they just keep drinking. And they even call, uh, Misato calls Shinji to let him know that she's going to be very late, assuming they're like past when Shinji and uh, Asuka would be in bed. And Pen Pen. And Pen Pen.
1: And Pen Pen does go to bed, right? before. Oh, Pen Pen's very (laughs) responsible. Yeah, see? He looked at them with that look of disgust, like, you guys should be in bed by now. And then he went to bed, like he was supposed to.
0: Oh, and we also got to see Pen Pen hanging out with Asuka. They're just, like, on pillows, watching TV while she reads magazines. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Eating some crisps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, before they leave for the wedding, uh, Masato gives Shinji a piece of advice, right? And... Or because he's going to go see Gendo, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I guess I just wanted to say that Gendo—that uh, Gendo's a dick. But uh... <laughs> You can always I say that. Say I, I think I'm just like a reactive person. Like
2: I'm just, uh, I always want to play devil's advocate. But I saw you like write that he was like a dick in the notes. And then I was expecting him to be a bigger dick.
0: I mean, I think he's like kind of cold. But, I don't think that goes beyond being cold. Hey, dad, it was really great to spend time with you for the first time in three years at my mother's grave. And his response was, I see. That's a dick thing to say. If you were like, Alex, I love you. And I was like, cool, <laughs> later. <laughs> that's a dick thing to do, I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah well, okay, that's fair. I mean, he
2: was emotionally distant when Like, Shinji threw that at him, like, right at the last minute, unprovoked.
0: Unprovoked? It was an emotional moment! They're standing at Yui's grave.
2: Yeah, but, like, he's just like, like, they had already said bye, and then he's like,
0: oh, Dad, by the way! (laughs) Oh, by the way, I love you. Yeah, cool, later. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah,
2: I don't know. I mean, like they have a complicated relationship, right?
0: That's true. I'm glad someone's on Gendo's
2: well, side. Well, look, I'm not on Gendo's side, but, but I think it's interesting. <laughs> we we learned something about, like, Misato's story and Shinji's story in this episode, which is, right, that they have these complicated relationships with people. So Shinji with Gendo and Misato with with Taji. And I think... Her father. Like, kind of the... Uh, well, yeah, and that too. Um, but, but I'd gone up until this episode, I had assumed that like, you know, it was Gendo's fault that their relationship is fucked up. And it is, cause right, he's the he's the father, he's the person in power and more control who has kind of a responsibility to do this. But then you learn in this scene that Shinji is the one who like ran away from home, right? Mm. It wasn't that his father left him and like sunk into his work. It was like when they were both grieving the death of the mother, Shinji is the one who withdrew
0: from his father, right? I guess didn't his mother die? Didn't he doesn't he not really know his mother? I feel like she died uh uh, shortly after Second Impact, but I'm not sure. I, I, don't, I
2: don't know. Uh, they said 2004, or the gravestone says 2004. I don't know. Okay. You know, so I don't know how old Shinji was, but they he says four. in that scene...
0: He's 15 okay. in 2015.
2: Yeah, so he's four years old, but that's when he ran away from home, and that's when
0: the relationship ended with Gendo, right? So, so like... He ran away from home? Where did this come from? I missed that. They say that. Okay, I missed that. I'm going to have to. That's okay. I believe <laughs> I'm pretty sure Shinji's like,
2: maybe he just said left home. So maybe it was that he got sent away or something like that. No, I think he said ran away. I'll look that up. And again, like if he's four, right? I'm not saying like fault four-year-olds for these problems, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like like Gendo is also like a grieving dude, you know?
1: Sure. This show is is so crazy where there's all these different types of relationships and ways that people dysfunctionally deal with uh, other people. And that, I think, uh, maybe Alex, you had mentioned that before we watched the episode. The different dynamics between these characters is really, really interesting. Um, the father-son, uh, the older and younger, um, which is interesting too. That's like the, the crush on teacher type of thing or crush on friend's parent type of thing. The dynamics are are very rich and uh, very interesting to watch. Agreed.
0: So I I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before. Shinji's eyes are purple and the Eva 01 is also purple. And I didn't realize this uh, color symmetry or color, uh, uh, I don't know, symbolism before, but Ray's eyes are red and her Eva is blue. Also her hair is blue. And then Asuka's eyes are blue, and her hair and Eva are red. And the, the synthesis of blue and red is purple, right? Oh. So like Shinji is, at least color-wise, standing at the crux of these two uh, forces. And, and like you said, the, there are all these uh, uh, different relationships, and oftentimes, what makes those relationships very interesting is someone having two different motivations, being pulled in two different directions, right? Yeah. Huh. I, I just went back to that section because I was like, yeah, like running
2: away at Fort, this doesn't make sense. What it actually was is Shinji says, it's been three years since we've been here. I ran away from home after that, and I haven't been back since. So I guess when he would have been 12, he visited the grave with his father, I'm guessing on the anniversary of his mother's death. Oh. And I think there is a thing, I don't know if it's from Buddhism or Shinto, but there are these kind of, um, I think in Japan, you don't just have a one-time funeral, but there are like certain years or like months that you go back after someone dies. There, there's kind of like this ritualistic component that it's not just a one-time thing. So I don't know if it's also kind of a reference to that But so so I think it's just like, you know, it's not just that Gendo abandoned Shinji. Mm -hmm. Shinji had some sort of teenage angst thing and ran away. Which I'm not saying excuses Gendo, right? And maybe it's because of Gendo being an insensitive dick, but
0: it's complicated. Well, I'm glad you looked that up because that makes a lot more sense running away at like 10 or
1: 12. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to picture that, like him hot wiring a car. Four years old. <laughs> it's, I'm not saying it's not possible for you four year olds watching when your computer's at home.
2: Uh, if there's any four year um, olds listening to this, run away.
0: Your parents don't <laughs> love you. We'll be your new parents.
1: Uh, just hot the helicopter. The
0: gospel of Pen Pen. Yeah. So they do take time to visit the grave and it doesn't go probably how I, based on how they leave it and the reactions, it doesn't go exactly how either of them had wanted or planned, but it does have an effect. It actually kind of lightens Shinji's mood because in the very next scene, he's playing cello, which we haven't seen him do yet. Asuka kind of compliments him on it and he says like, oh, I'm not, I'm not good. I've just been playing it for a long time, right? And so there is this sense of, there are things that he has persevered in, but he has to keep coming back to them because he runs away, right? And the the cello piece that he's... Playing is very famous. It's, as far as I could tell, it's box cello suite number one in G major, which Yo Yo Ma is quite famous for playing uh, a very beautiful rendition of. And it's used in a lot of places. At least I remember it being used in Daredevil season one in this wonderful Wilson Fisk episode where you get to spend a morning with him at the beginning and the end of the episode. It's a very good episode. Yeah. And Osaka you know, very standoffish to Shinji, very kind of manipulative, but Asuka does think about Shinji and Asuka does like Shinji on some level. She makes fun of him all the time, calls him an idiot, but like she doesn't want nothing to do with him. She does continue to converse with him. She does continue to, she doesn't put any complaints about living there anymore. I think she's melting. I think think she likes uh, Shinji a little bit. Uh, Kaji, and Ritsuko, and Misato do end up uh, drinking at a bar. Kaji gives Ritsuko a present, which is like a cat toy or cat treat, which we assume he got while he was seeing the cat lady. I guess Ritsuko also has cats, I assume. And we see that Kaji continuously flirts with, he flirts with, Ritsuko, while wow. Masato is in the bathroom, and then when Masato is back, he kind of starts working on her. But Ritsuko mentions this thing, uh, and I guess that makes sense with the two conflicting uh, directions people are pulled in. Uh, I'd never heard of these two concepts before. Or I'm sorry, I'd heard of one of them. I'd heard of homeostasis, but I'd never heard of transistasis. And Ritsuko explains that these are the, the two conflicting... I at least thought of as two conflicting drives to, to biology, the drive to change and adapt, but the drive to keep things normal, right? Keep things stable. So homeostasis, you want to remain the way you are because that's what you know, that's what you're comfortable with. But transostasis wants you to move forward. And so we, Even within our bodies, we have this dialectical process of two conflicting uh, forces that will invariably resolve themselves into some sort of synthesis, into something new, new experience, new, you know, uh, I don't know, like that's how progress happens. Uh, So anyways, I found that really interesting, but that's pretty short. Back at the apartment, Asuka and Shinji have had dinner And it's getting kind of late, and they... So they clean up dinner, and then it shoots back to Masato and Kaji, and now Kaji is giving Masato a piggyback ride home. And I think there's a short scene of Masato puking in an alleyway for a split second. I was like, are they having sex in an alleyway? And then it pretty quickly... Tells you that no, she's puking. Um, they're on their way home. We at least assume that Kaji has not taken advantage of Masato in the how much she's drinking. Even though Kaji characterizes it earlier as she drinks to stay in control. She drink, drinks to like calm her nerves and her anxieties. I,
2: I I do think that that is intentional. It's like right after Asuka it's been like you know like implied that they're gonna stay out all night together, mm. you know, to be together. And then it cuts to this like dark scene in the alleyway and there's like grunting. Oh. At least I had the same thought
0: and I feel like. Yeah, even if it's just for a split second, right? It like puts that that dual meaning in your mind. And, you, and you're like, wait, what? And then he's <laughs>
2: like, you really need to watch your drinking. You're like puking. And then you're like, oh, gotcha, gotcha. And, and two, this is, a. TV show, right? So they can't, they probably couldn't show sex. And so maybe that's a, a way to kind of give people that emotional reaction and be like, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't that.
1: Oh, that's actually, that's clever. Yeah. yeah I hope that's, I hope that's why they did that. That's very clever.
0: And, so, and then they have this really deep conversation. Uh, Masato gets off of Kaji's back and she lets loose. I guess she feels comfortable or just drunk or at the end of her rope. Uh, Or maybe it's just that as much as she doesn't really trust him or as much as she gets mad at him for his behavior and like, fuck, I get mad at Kaji because of his behavior too, he's kind of a creep. But she does know him. So she ends up spilling all of this information out about how much she hates her father and how much Kaji reminds her of, uh, of him. And I don't like that Kaji kisses her to essentially shut her up, right? But I also don't know where else the scene could go. So I'm okay with the choices there. Uh, You know, I don't have to like Kaji to, what do you call it, observe his actions. Isn't that kind of a trope? Oh, yeah. So he kisses her and there's very subtle animation, which I just, oh my gosh, this episode is really rife with that. It's wonderful. Uh, And I know it's, you know, low budget animation, but they really, God, constantly make the best use of it. He kisses her and it's a still frame. And then her hand goes up as if to offer resistance, stops halfway there and then lets itself fall back down. Like her hand goes back down, which seemed pretty clear her thought pattern in the moment.
2: Yeah, it's just kind of lets go figuratively and literally, right? And there's so much like Freudian stuff in this. And this is kind of another thing of like, you know, she talks about him, you know, with her him her talking about how he reminded her of her father. That was a horrible sentence to say.
0: You did it. <laughs> oh
2: but but I think similar to the scene of Shinji and, and his father, like we learned that their relationship is more complicated, right? So we talked about kind of Kaji being this big playboy, and I think maybe I assumed up until this point he broke her heart and she's been mad at him because of that but then we find out that actually like their relationship was going well and she suddenly broke up with him and told him that she had met someone else and she's now revealing to him that actually she broke up with him because he reminded her of of her father and it had nothing to do with him right and I'm probably giving him too much credit, but then you could imagine maybe some of him being such a player or whatever, is him having reacted from this experience that happened to him in college of just like, your girlfriend's gonna like leave you for
0: some other dude. (laughs) No, I think that's fair. Takaji, I think that, I mean, we are the result of our experiences, right? We are physical beings. That's an excellent point. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. And then we get an almost parallel scene, similar characters, but in a very different stage in their life. We get back to the apartment and Asuka's bored, right? She's just sitting at the table and she asks Shinji if he's ever kissed a girl. When he says no, she's like, okay, well then let's do it. She does not reveal whether she has kissed anyone, which I assume she has not, but who knows? Like, so they're the kids. So they're very new to this, and yet their kiss is set up in this much more consensual manner. And it, you know, it's embarrassing, it's strange. They both react quite, not oddly, like it's understandable the way both of them react, but they don't react like, oh my gosh, now we're in love. This was such a great experiment. But they do, and maybe that's a commentary on, you just talked about uh, the age of these characters and that being a real interesting vector of uh, uh, exploration, and maybe the next generation or subsequent generations are more concerned with consent. You know, Also, she initiates it, right? Asuka initiating it, which is not traditional at all, right? Usually, most cultures, the man initiates the kiss, or the male initiates the relationship, but not so here. And symbolically, maybe that's a step forward. Yeah, I, I think that's also, it's
2: like, kind of a trope in media for young men or adolescents, right? It's kind of like the manic pixie dream girl who is sexually assertive. Mm. I don't know. I I feel like you see that a lot, maybe especially in anime. uh, And you can just kind of imagine, oh, I could just be in that situation. And
0: this person, I don't have to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Could just happen to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely something I felt in my life, because I generally I have, like, in my past relationships I have generally I guess you could say made the first move, but I usually didn't want to. Uh, that's a, a an aspect of cultural masculinity that, like, I, I didn't really identify with, and caused me a lot of distress in my romantic uh, endeavors. So they have this kiss, and it's Long and kind of sweet, but also kind of awkward. Uh, Pen Pen is a total bro. Very cool about it. Does not disturb them. Just quietly goes about his business. Gets into his refrigerator.
2: I I just connected the dots with she's holding his nose. Like, that's why he can't breathe. It's that she kept holding his nose the whole time
0: (laughs) they were kissing. Which reminded me, my first kiss around that age, I didn't think to turn my head slightly to the side or like slightly cock my head. So I almost broke our noses the first time I kissed a girl.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, the kids. I was going to say that was when he starts turning uh, at least two different colors. I think it was red and purple, uh, which I don't know if it has any kind of, uh, like we were talking about different Mm. color before, symbolism, but he definitely turns at least two different colors. And I think it's red and red and blue or red and purple.
0: And you're right. It's not only that he's becoming aroused. It is that he cannot breathe because his nose is being held and he is slowly suffocating. Asuka kind of runs away from the kiss, right? Uh, reacts very bombastically and goes to the other room, presumably because they're both feeling something there. And then Kaji and Misato get back home, right? Asuka is feeling something, she's kind of revved up and she tries to get Kaji to stay the night. She's like, hey, are you sure you have to go? You could sleep here. Like, Asuka's trying to get with Kaji that night and thankfully Kaji's like, no, this is not good. I gotta go. I gotta get up in the morning. See you later, 14 year old.
1: Did he take, he didn't take her seriously at all though. Like she was putting her best moves out there. And he was like, oh, little girl, like, all right, gotta go, bye. And that was that kind of, again, that kind of teacher-student crush mm. type of thing, like on full display. Definitely. And she even noticed the, uh, she mentioned, I think, the perfume when she was up against him. Right. Yeah. Was like, oh, that's the Jasmine or whatever it was, perfume.
0: That she had asked to borrow earlier in the yeah. episode, right? <sighs> poor, poor Shinji. So, like, this girl asked to kiss him. She
2: almost suffocates him. <laughs> and immediately afterwards, she's like, nope, that was gross, didn't like that. <laughs> and then this like this older dude comes over and she's like fawning over him.
0: But don't you think that Asuka's, when Asuka says like that was gross, I didn't like that kiss, Shinji asks her like, are you okay, is, like, is something wrong? You look kind of disappointed. And she yells at him, I'm disappointed because I kissed you. I think she's lying there, right? Oh, for sure. She felt something during that kiss, and then she's obviously disappointed because Kaji didn't stay.
2: Well, I don't know if she felt anything during that kiss, but I think she's upset not because of the kiss, but because she has this crush on Kaji, and she's thinking about Kaji with Misato, right?
0: Definitely. And like to her, from her perspective, him leaving, uh, that's a rejection. Right? That's yeah. like asking someone out and them being like, oh, I gotta wash my hair that night. No. But I'm gonna have to go back and look at Osaka again. I feel like she feels something during that kiss, but maybe I'm wrong. I think it gets them both revved up.
2: Okay, so then we have the big reveal right at the end. So we have Kaji doing something shady and nerve. Um, he's gonna open this secret door that has these, like, warnings up about how you might be shot on entry, and then... Someone puts a gun up to the back of his head. It's Misato. She's learned about some of his uh, double agent dealings. Mm. And uh, he apologizes to her, but then tells her what what we have, viewers have known for a little while, which is that Gendo and Ritsuko and people are keeping secrets from her as well. And then he reveals to her a big secret, which is that... You know, going back to that conversation from the beginning of the episode, Adam is stored in the nerve agency. And Adam is, I guess, the first angel that attacked. Half of it is kind of giant creature crucified up in this chamber. It has the same face that's the seal logo with these seven eyes.
0: The uh, number seven uh, implies perfection.
2: Kind of asymmetrically on like a shield logo. Hmm. It's got nails through its hands. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't have legs, but it has this kind of like, it kind of looked like almost like a potato to me or something. Like kind of like these tuberous bulbs at uh, the bottom of it there are these things that I thought were roots at first, and then on the rewatch, I think they're actually like pairs of human legs or something, or like human-sized legs.
0: Yes, they're little human-sized legs. Well, I guess we don't see, we can't judge the scale completely, but we can imagine they're about human size. Uh, Ano has used that imagery in Chingojiro. I don't know about his other works, but he's, I guess, fond of that imagery of like, a monster or a giant or something with human things coming out of it. Mm. It's very disturbing, very uncanny valley. Uh, and I wonder if that came from a, some Japanese tradition or if that is just him. So I'm gonna have to look into that. I'm thinking of
2: the D&D mythology, the living wall. Oh, it's kind of this no, big fleshy yeah. mass with little human parts sticking out and stuff.
1: Very creepy.
2: Yeah, like a monster that kind of absorbs people.
0: Man, we got to start a, a, a retro d podcast, the three of us. And we'll talk about <laughs> nothing new. So Adam, the, the crucifixion imagery and the human bits coming off of it imagery, that was reminiscent of Ymir in Norse mythology and Tiamat in, I think, Sumerian mythology, which are both proto-creator gods, like proto, kind of like the titans in Greek mythology, right? Ymir was this giant that exists before the gods do. Uh, Tiamat is this great dragon, this great mother goddess that exists before the other gods do. Who kills her? Is it Marduk? It might be Marduk. But in both of these legends, when Ymir is slain, or Tiamat is slain, the body is used to create the heavens and earth to create, uh, and in at least one of them, to create humanity, I think. Uh, and there's kind of that Christian symbolism too, right? The, the cross. Because like crucifixion is kind of uh, adopted by Christian symbolism, but the sacrifice, that goes way back. That's pre, that's Celtic, that's pagan, that's uh, all sorts of uh, mythologies utilize that. Uh, and hanging on something to Beget knowledge, or to beget a new world, right? Oh, oh, Prometheus is like that. Oh my gosh, it's just like Prometheus—not <laughs> crucified, but you know, Prometheus is chained to a rock, and it's <clears throat> his liver is com- or continually eaten by giant birds for bringing fire to humanity. So if this is Adam, and Adam, our contact with Adam is what allowed us to create the Avas this new technology, this new way of being in the world, it's the same kind of punishment, like continually in stasis on this cross, even though it's like the progenitor of a new age of humanity.
1: Bravo, sir. Hmm. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. Wow. And that was what I was talking about before we started watching this how many layers <laughs> excuse me how many layers do you want to peel back on those mm. you know i would not have thought about that but it makes perfect sense laid out like that so you go back and watch these things over and over again and you're just getting new levels and you're drawing on your own you know knowledge of lore and things like that and you're you know it's deeper and deeper and very very interesting
2: and and i think like you were saying too trey it's also it's just like it just looks cool, right? So yeah, it's like, yeah, it you know, these, these things for mythology are these kind of images and ideas that for whatever reason, they just kind of like stick in your mind, right? And that's probably mm. how they've survived for thousands of years. And, and so then someone like Ano, like a creator can be like, hey, let's like, these are like time-tested ideas and yeah. kind of see them in this new context. and But there's something that, affects you at this like deep level when you see this giant thing with these nails in its hands and
0: stuff you yeah. there. Yeah, that's art, that's magic. Like that symbolism, That's those are really ancient traditions.
1: Very well done.
0: And like you said, this is a, a, another example, a great example of marrying those two concepts. Marrying content with aesthetic. The way it looks meaning something within the story. I I, I guess I think our greatest artists throughout, or competent artists throughout time have uh, done that. And this show, like you said, Dre, does very well. And then we get a bit of a teaser there too. We saw the, we saw Adam, but we also saw uh, this strange contraption looked like tangle of tubes that almost resembled a brain structure going down into almost a spinal column. And at the bottom of the spinal column, uh, oh, also, surrounded by uh, genetic sequencing. It's those same letters, G-T-A-C, right? And at the bottom of this spinal column looking thing is a little tube with LCL, the liquid oxygen stuff in it. And inside is Ray just, you know, hanging out, chilling. I don't know if she's meditating in there or whatever. And the only other person there is Gendo. And we do get to see Gendo give a, slightly less creepy smile. Cause he's usually smiling about like, oh, they think they have us. Well, uh, oh, one will go berserk and defeat everyone. But this time he actually, I think Ray smiles at him and uh, he smiles back. Very strange scene.
2: <laughs> I, I was just looking up, I was just Googling uh, Prometheus and instead of reading this, I'll ask you because I feel like you might know this. So I think of Prometheus as the person who steals fire and gives it to humanity, but did he also create humanity? There's something here about, Oh, maybe this is this, this other tradition that Prometheus might be based on, Who like formed humanity
0: out of clay, Enuma Elish. Enuma Elish? Yeah. Yeah, what is that? Is that Sumerian? Uh, it says Babylonian. Okay, okay, cool. I have a hard time separating those two. I need to research more. I wish I was better at history. But uh, the Enuma elish I want to say that's the story of Gilgamesh, right? I think the Enuma Elish is the thing of Gilgamesh. But uh, for me, this is definitely worth looking into. Uh, and if, if not literally creating humanity, the introduction of fire into human existence makes humans more than animals, right? Fire is kind of allegorical of a change in consciousness, a change in the way we relate to the natural world. I was going to
2: say a thing and then I
0: was like, wait, I might have misread this,
2: but it looks like there is some myth about Prometheus making humans out of mud. And then I think, so that, that word I said before, I guess that's not a God, but that's the Babylonian creation story. Like that's their Genesis and then Marduk is the god who creates humans. It's kind of interesting like the Marduk institute and then anyway just like if there is Prometheus imagery in this then that's kind of two different gods from different
0: traditions that
1: that created humans.
0: A Prometheus Enuma Elish
1: jam <laughs> session. Sound really wise and smart. <laughs> yeah. So like,
2: oh yeah just this thing that we happen to know you know. Well, of course, of course.
0: <laughs> so the next time we see that uh, Shinji is going to get caught inside of something uh, they call it a Dirac Sea which I don't know what that is but uh, it looks like Shinji is going to have some sort of psychic experience which sounds super awesome <laughs> yeah Uh, Not for him, Um, but for us. (laughs) Psychic bottle episode. Oh, I love bottle episodes.
1: Could they just stare at the camera? (laughs) The old uh, movie trope about using uh, psychic energy where you're just staring at each other.
0: Very cheap to produce. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Any any closing thoughts, final thoughts, things we didn't get to in the episode, Dre?
1: Uh, No, I just... uh, I, I was really curious if I'd missed something about pen pen and I bet you've answered that question. So everything else is gravy. Okay, great. I think that uh, it's, it's important for like this type of podcast. Um, I just wanted to thank you both for doing this because uh, I wish things like this uh, were more readily available to me a lot earlier.
0: Mm. I think that
1: this is really uh uh just a, a really cool thing that you guys are doing. And uh, I enjoy listening. I, was, I wasn't talking that much because I was listening to the two of you and I was more like a spectator, but you, you guys are very knowledgeable. Um, I, can, I can hear the love that you guys have for, for this media. And uh, yeah, it makes me more excited to, to finish watching it now. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But
0: yeah, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, th- thanks for doing this, man.
1: My pleasure.
2: Oh, I was going to say, and something we've been asking uh, guests, and I'm curious for you, Dre, um, for someone who likes this show, like for someone who's a listener, um, are there any shows or comics or anything like that that you think someone who likes this might uh, might also like?
1: Uh, I, I keep going back to it, but I love the show. Avatar The Last Airbender. I've watched it through... Uh, probably like four times now from cover to cover. And I continue to find things in that show that was written for kids. And it, it, that, that's one of the things that really amazes me. It's almost like if you were teaching a class on writing, on writing a show, you can find examples, good examples, um, in Avatar The Last Airbender and you could do several layers of depth Um, So I know that it's a very popular show, so I'm not exactly uh, inventing the wheel here, but for anyone who hasn't watched it or looked at it and thought, oh, that's just a kid's show, it's really not. I don't want to say that someone's doing a disservice by not watching it to themselves, but I think that um, there's something, there's enough in there for everybody that uh, you could go into that and, Really enjoy yourself, and I don't. I don't think you would consider it a waste of time on the other end. My, I always point people towards that show, and I've gotten positive feedback from people that, oh, um, my boss is the guy. To, I don't think I would like that. We'll give it a try. Oh, you're right. That show is is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's just safe. It's safe for me. I, I try to stay try to stay safe with my recommendations. Uh, Last Airbender is really good. Not to be confused with the giant blue uh, people, which I hate. <laughs> How does James
0: Cameron keep getting work? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we do a sign off. Huh? Pen. Pen. Pals.
1: Pies. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's